It all started with a conversation about donut socks. I can wear socks for National Donut Day. How cool would it be if I could wear saint socks on Saint's Feast Day? said Sock Religious's co-founder, Scott Williams. Five years later, Sock Religious is a rapidly growing company that makes not only socks, but t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, onesies, and coffee mugs. Step on over to SockReligious.com and check it out. Use code GLORIA15 for 15% off your order. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Dr. Jamie Waters, who is an associate professor of Old Testament at the Boston College School of Theology and Ministry. I wanted to talk to Jamie because for the last three years, she has been America Magazine's resident scripture scholar and columnist for The Word our scripture reflection column. Advent is here, coming up, you know, and we pray the O antiphons during Advent. And I wanted to talk with her to help us understand, well, first of all, what is an antiphon? What are the O antiphons? How should we be praying them? Why do we pray them? Where did they originate? And I wanted her to help us be able to have a deeper Advent prayer experience by understanding what the O antiphons are, what an antiphon is. So that's really why I wanted to talk with her today to help enrich us and prepare us for when we start to pray the O antiphons in the church. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. You may not agree with everything we publish or even everything we talk about on this podcast, and that's okay. That's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by clicking the follow button on your favorite podcast listening app and by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Dr. Jamie Waters is up next. Dr. Waters, welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Excited to get into, well, first of all, all the things that you study are going to just make for a richer conversation, but I have to back all the way up. Your name is spelled J-A-I-M-E. Is it Jamie? It is. It's Jamie. But it looks like it could be French. J'aime, is it? Yeah. So uh, J-A-I-M-E is an alternative spelling. Normally J-A-M-I-E is more common. Mm -hmm. But my mom really loved the words I love in French, J'aime. So she decided to go with the alternative spelling. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I like your mama. (laughs) Yes, me too. (laughs) So I have to ask then, so you grew up in Philadelphia. Tell me about growing up in Philly. Oh, yeah. Well, since I shouted out my mom, I'll say Dolores Waters. I I like my mama too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Philadelphia, in North Philadelphia, 
And that's where a lot of my family still is. I grew up not too far from the art museum in the Fairmount area of the city. Mm -hmm. And in my early years, I was a member of Jesu Church. And then when I started school, I went to St. Francis Xavier Church. So that's sort of my home parish. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, Philadelphia, it's a great place to live. I have a strong family, strong roots there. So I love it. So I'm curious, you are a scripture scholar and well, maybe we should back up. What is a scripture scholar? I'm assuming people would know, but what is a scripture scholar? Yeah, so a scripture scholar is someone who's done extensive study of the Bible, typically in its original languages, and it involves several years of college and graduate school. And from my perspective, my focus was especially on the Old Testament. And so I guess my path is in some ways might be traditional, but it's not the only way that one could kind of approach studying scripture. When I was in college at Boston College, I studied theology and philosophy, and I gained sort of interest in the history and the language and the culture surrounding the development of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I had a strong sort of faith tradition growing up, but I didn't really know a lot about the Bible. So I was sort of struck in college by how much I didn't know. Mm. So that sort of inspired me to study more. And then after that, I went on to pursue a master's degree in religion with a focus in Bible. And so Again, that involves a lot of language study in Hebrew and Greek, and a lot of courses focus on different books of the Bible and sort of the history of its development. And then for my PhD, I went into Near Eastern Studies at Johns Hopkins University. So that gave me more background in, again, the historical and cultural context of the Bible. For some people, they might go on to get a doctorate in theology, and so that emphasis would be sort of a more theological themes and interests in the Bible. So kind of depends on your interests that might sort of steer you in a one direction or another. But yeah, so critical study of the Bible in original <laughs> languages, I guess that's how you, that's that's what how got you become you. You a were scripture like, yep. scholar. Yeah. Like, that's calling me. What was your family's reaction when you're like, I'm going to become a scripture scholar? <laughs> I didn't say it quite like that. (laughs) They probably would have laughed. Um, No, I probably said something like, I want to be a professor. I don't try not to refer to myself (laughs) as scholar. I mean, I appreciate you saying I get what you're saying. You're like, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be a scholar when I grow up (laughs) a bit much. (laughs) But, uh, But yeah, I told them I wanted to be a professor, which was a shock because when I started college, I said I wanted to study political science and go to law school. So, Coming home after one semester of college saying I might want to be a theology professor was not not what I expected. Yeah. So what is your specific area of expertise within scripture? So I focus a lot on the Old Testament and I guess more specifically on the prophets. Mm. Right now I'm working on a book on the book of Jeremiah on a Mm. commentary, kind of unpacking some of its language and themes and the commentaries for liturgical press for their wisdom commentary series, which is a kind of feminist critical approach to reading scripture. So these days I read a lot of Jeremiah, but in my teaching, I guess I teach both Old and New Testaments, though primarily Old Testament. So talk a little bit about this. If people hear this, oh, feminist critique, talk about a little bit about what that entails, what that looks like. Because some people hear that and automatically think, oh, heterodox. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily the case. So could you help them understand what that means? Sure. So my approach is kind of a little bit multifaceted. So I draw on 
different types of scholarship and perspectives to help enrich and examine the text with women and issues that especially relate to women in mind. So in some cases, that could be looking on a very basic level at the ways that women are referenced in the book of Jeremiah. So what women figures or characters are present in Jeremiah, there's a lot of imagery that relates to women. So the people's suffering is sometimes compared to like a woman suffering in childbirth. So I Mm. kind of explore the power and sometimes the problems of some of the images that are used. Mm -hmm. And then another aspect of my approach is thinking about how what the text is saying or what it reflects, how that would have impacted women in antiquity and how it impacts us as readers today. Wonderful. You know, you're completing a, what is it, a three-year scripture reflection tenure at America Media? I am, yeah. Three years, right? Well, look, thank you for all the great writing and the insight you've provided. But I want to go back to how did you become a regular contributor to America Media's, I think it's called The Word Column, Mm -hmm. it's on scripture reflections. How did that happen? Yeah, so I was invited to submit an article based on a recommendation from the previous Word columnist, Father Michael Simone. And so he recommended I get in contact with Father Sam Sawyer. And uh, so I submitted an article and I suppose it resonated with him and the community that decides who's going to be regular contributors. Apparently they liked it. And so then I became a contributor for the three-year cycle. So that started in, I guess, Advent 2019. And it just ended a couple weeks ago, right before Advent 2022. So on the strength that you're writing, they were like, we want more. We want more. I guess so. <laughs> so how do you approach then your reflections of the daily le- lectionary? When I first started, I initially, especially since I'm someone who focuses on the Old Testament, mm-hmm. I wanted to be mindful of how the first reading and sometimes first and second reading would influence or help me to unpack what was happening in the gospel. So the the word column focuses primarily on gospel text, but I really wanted to see how the first and second readings could enrich or help to understand what was happening in the gospel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I'd say early on, that's what I had in mind. And I wanted to include things that I thought would inspire readers and help them to study and to pray with scripture. And then I guess around March 2020, like everyone else, we had a huge, in some ways I say a shift in how I thought about my writings in light of the pandemic and the sort of the world thereafter. And so writing during the pandemic made me want to focus on things like suffering but and having hope. Yes. Coping with the sort of the stresses of how the world had changed in such a huge way. Mm -hmm. I thought about things like people losing loved ones, people living in isolation, and how might scripture sort of speak to them while we were all sort of at home alone. And so then I'd say, probably starting in March, even more so than when I first began, I was really mindful of the world in really clear, like direct ways, like how our texts would help us to speak to and and live in the world. And so after that, I'd say some other sort of significant events that influenced me were the murder of George Floyd in May yeah. 2020 that made me really push to think about issues of racial justice and equality or inequality and how scripture should help us to acknowledge and address these issues. And then sort of continuing through that, the political turmoil we've been living through and continue to live through, but, you know, that we were especially living through at that time. 
that also influenced me. The insurrection on the Capitol influenced me. So just thinking about these major events that happened during my three-year term and how scripture could speak to or help people to sort of deal with these issues. Which I think is so, sometimes I find people don't recognize it in scripture, there's something that speaks to you in the things that you experience in your life, right? And so to me, the Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd murders all so close together. Mm-hmm. And then being able to recognize that there's something in scripture that can help you process this and how might you see this anew as believers. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you heard anything from readers or maybe anybody else that came up with your reflections and how do people respond to your reflections especially with these major events that you just listed? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the highlights of my time at America was hearing from readers. And I some was just through conversation, just people who I would happen to interact with who knew I was writing it. Also, many people would email me or comment online on the America website or on Facebook. And But I'd say some of the personal emails were among the most touching. A lot of people expressed thanks just for the way that I was able to sort of articulate some themes in scripture that really spoke to the moment. And so I was trying to really push myself because I guess in some ways that doesn't always come out in my research, but in my writings for America, I wanted that to be really present because I know people are reading for their own spiritual growth and development. And so just hearing thanks from people and Sometimes people would share really personal experiences Mm -hmm. of where they experienced injustice or where they also weren't always mindful or or didn't always acknowledge some of the injustice in the world. And so my writing sort of helped them to process their own Mm -hmm. issues and limitations and hopefully grow. So that's a gift I didn't expect. Like, I didn't know what to expect (laughs) when I started this, but Mm -hmm. the idea that people would reach out to me just to talk and to express thanks, I really appreciate that. You know, I was just thinking about this. I recently met with the Holy Father and we were talking about pretty much women in the church and he talked about the Marian dimension. Mm -hmm. And it was, if you think about during the Holy Mass, it's the priest (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we hear from interpreting scripture. But through this daily lectionary, reflection we hear from women like you interpreting scripture. And it happens outside the mass, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, women can interpret scripture. People can hear it and respond to it and actually be touched by it. Do you think, I mean, in terms of women interpreting scripture, do you think that this in any way impacts people's perception of women in the church and what we can or cannot do? Yes. Thanks for the question. One, I just want to say congratulations on your (laughs) your interview and all your work. I've been reading. Sorry, I will address your question, but I just want to say what a not only an amazing opportunity, but the questions you asked and the the topics that you you raised with Pope Francis. I really appreciate that you to say it in a kind of colloquial way, you kind of went there. You, you brought up issues <laughs> that needed to be brought up. So I, I really appreciated that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let me just say this. When I went in to see the Holy Father, I didn't feel like I was going in just for me. Mm-hmm. I felt I was bringing everybody else with me. Yeah. And I hope, even though it probably doesn't come across necessarily in the written word, I just wish everybody could have felt the love and tenderness the way especially he responded to the question about racism Mm -hmm. and what he said to Black Catholics saying, I want, you know, I love you. Mm -hmm. I wish 
everybody could have felt that love and tenderness from the Holy Father. Because I could tell you, girl, it was a bomb. Uh-huh. It was a bomb for me. So, yeah. but thank you. Thank you for yes. that encouragement and for that affirmation. I sincerely appreciate it. Absolutely. And then I guess to your, the question on women interpreting, I mean, I think it's such an important question and in some ways it's a real challenge and a real disadvantage, not only for women, but for the church. Like we miss so many great voices because of gender. I'm glad that there are platforms and ways that women are able to preach and interpret scripture I'm thinking of a site in particular, Catholic Women Preaches is a great source for seeing Catholic women preach as the name suggests. And they also recently published a book that is a collection of some of the interpretations that Catholic women have done, in particular, I think for a liturgical year A. And so I'm so glad that there are platforms and areas where women can carefully and critically and thoughtfully interpret scripture and to be affirmed in doing that. But it is such a miss that that can't happen during the Mass. If people aren't reaching out and looking for other sources and and ways to interpret, if their only interpretation is through the Mass, Mm -hmm. um, then we're so limited. And as you say this, of course, I'm thinking of the doctors of the church who aren't necessarily just talking about Scripture, but they're talking about the faith. I'm thinking of the doctors of the church like my favorite, St. Teresa of Avila, and the kind of instruction she gives specifically around prayer and the interior life. Mm -hmm. And so I think if people understand that you can learn from women, and in fact, we have doctors of the church who are women, not a whole lot of them, but yet we have some. I'm hoping that that really, I don't know, conditions people to understand that the church knows that there are wise women. Of course, we got the Blessed Mother and the Holy Father saying Mary's more important than Peter. I don't know how many people paid attention to that, but just that there's so much there. And I also mm-hmm. think about the role of women in families, how we guide, how we inform, how we lead, really, yeah. and how we help form people. And that includes our future priests. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I know in some parts of Catholic world, there are people that are not understanding why God made us male and female in that women have something to offer you know, this stuff about men being the head, but being the head in such a way that women have no head, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We have no brain. And I was like, you are missing the richness of all that we can bring. And so I'm so happy that you did this for America, and I'm happy that you're doing this for Catholic Women Preach. We'll be back in a minute. States of Faith is a brand for Catholics who love the rosary and are proud of where they live. Imagine your state outlined in the rosary with the crucifix laying over the capital. You can get States of Faith designs on sweatshirts, quarter zips, t-shirts, coffee mugs, or stickers. Rep your state and faith at statesoffaith.com. Use the code GLORIA15 for 15% off your order. And I wanted to talk with you about the O antiphons and to you specifically because of your background, because of your education, because of, frankly, the brilliance that you bring in this area. So let me start with just this. What is an antiphon? Sure. An antiphon is a verse, basically, a verse taken from scripture that's normally short, is recited or sung. And so the O antiphons. They are seven short verses (laughs) that are taken from or inspired by scripture 
there's used during Advent, you're right, in the last week leading up to Christmas. So typically mm-hmm. December 17th through 23rd, we hear one antiphon each day to help build anticipation and excitement and sort of longing. They, they sort of articulate a sort of longing to kind of draw near to and have Jesus' arrival. So let me ask you this. It seems like sometimes we're like all happy about it when we sing the antiphons, but I got the impression they were like, come on, please, yes. come here. Totally different feel. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the origin of them and what was happening at the time with the people of God, you know, and why the way in which they did the old antiphons or their calling out to the Lord is very different than this kind of happy. Yeah. <laughs> talk about that a little bit for us. Sure. Yeah. So sometimes they are called like the great cries or or mm-hmm. pleas. And so I think that on the one hand, I think there's benefits to leaning into both. So seeing this as a real, like having a kind of desperate kind of longing or wanting, and also a kind of eagerness and an excitement and wanting, I think those can kind of go together. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to know exactly how they came to be arranged as these seven statements. Their origins are sort of mixed, drawing a lot on the book of Isaiah. We get some a reference that's in Jeremiah, some images from Exodus. So they draw really heavily on Old Testament texts that come from different time periods and contexts. Most scholars, I think, think they came about around the 7th or 8th century in the kind of arrangement that we have today. But the biblical traditions are obviously over a thousand years mm-hmm. earlier than that. And so I think. What might have influenced their arrangement as we have it is that they do a couple of things. They make a sort of direct statement on who God is or who a community sees God as. And so these kind of different titles that are used really reflect their sort of affirming God's presence in their lives in different ways. So, oh, wisdom, oh, Lord, oh, Emmanuel. So all of these titles sort of are saying something about a community and their vision of God. And then the idea that each of them has this come as a recurring thing, come and do something, come and save us, come and help us. You really do see a a community that's yearning to build its relationship with God. You know, I've sung the O Antiphons before. You know, I'm not a great singer, but to call the Lord by the different titles and to wait on him. And can you explain for us some of the theological meanings behind these titles? Like I know, oh, wisdom is one, but in Latin. Yeah, my Latin's a little, uh, I spend a lot more time in the Hebrew and Greek, but uh, (laughs) I think it's sapientia. I'm much more comfortable with Adonai and Emmanuel. Those are Hebrew. But yeah, I guess in the Latin, this is where, if you know that, the acrostic, that arrow cross, that's where this comes from if you look at them in the Latin. But I'll go with the English for my sake and everyone else's sake. So let me back up and say, what's an acrostic? Okay, so an acrostic is a poem where each first letter spells out a word or phrase. So say, look at your name, Gloria, if you wrote a statement and each statement, the first sentence began with a G and then the next sentence began with an L and the next with an O, it would spell out your name and also could kind of describe who you are in those sentences. Got it. So the O antiphons 
do this also, although it only works if you look at them in reverse order. So the acrostic isn't, if you just read them in the order that we hear them in the liturgy, the acrostic doesn't work. But if you go backwards, starting with Emmanuel all the way up to the 17th, then you get this arrow cross, which means, so arrow means I exist or I will come and cross means tomorrow. Oh, so right. some interpret this as saying like, I will come or I will be here tomorrow. So thinking of this as kind of a beautiful sort of lead up to Christmas. So it's like, we're calling out to him, please come. And if we read back the O antiphon, starting with December 23rd, going backwards, he answers and says, I will come tomorrow. And the interesting thing yes. is he does, right? Because the 24th is Christmas Eve. Is what? So he's like, yeah, I'll come tomorrow. By the time we get to the 23rd, and you look back, all that you said, his answer is, I uh -huh. will come tomorrow, which I think is so beautiful. And when I discovered that, like that hidden acrostic, I don't know, it just really sat with me. It's like, God is so mm -hmm. delightful, you know? I like it. I feel like it's a, a nice, beautiful, like, if you think about this, I mean, on a theological level, yes, I think it's really beautiful. And even if you just think about it on a kind of practical level on how these statements get woven together and ordered in a certain way, it really speaks to how a community also wants to build in a kind of answer for us. I will say, in case some people aren't familiar with some of the titles, I'm going to say them in English, O Radiant Dawn, O Key of David, and I'm not saying them in any order, <laughs> O King of All Nations, O Root of Jesse's Stem, O Leader of the House of Israel, the Wisdom of Our God Most High. And you know what? I think we're going to put a link in the show notes to the O Antiphons of Advent so that people can read through them and see what we're talking about. Could you talk about the title Root of Jesse's Stem? What does that mean? Where does that come from? Sure. So that one goes, I put that in connection also to the one that mm -hmm. comes right after, O Key of David. So the tradition is that Jesus is of the line of David. And so David is the son of Jesse. And so when you get this root of Jesse's stem, this is a kind of not very hidden way to say that Jesus is in Jesse's line. Jesus is a descendant of David, who's, I guess you'd say in some of our prophetic texts that speak about a messianic age that where someone would come of the line of Jesse, someone would come of the line of David, that's using that statement mm -hmm. then to connect it to Jesus. So using this root of Jesse's stem as a title for Jesus is saying that those Old Testament prophecies about a future descendant of Jesse, we should associate them with Jesus as the sort of long-awaited uh, Messiah. How are we to pray the O antiphons? Like, how should we do this? So normally they're prayed in vespers or evening kind of prayer services. But if people aren't doing Vespers at home or attending a service, you'll also hear them separately in the Alleluia's over the week leading up to Christmas. So we'll, you'll hear one each day in those seven days before Christmas. But I would actually recommend reading them in their entirety together. So even though we normally encounter them separately, I think when you read them as a whole, one is a little longer, but you can see how they sort of relate to and give different understandings or emphases about God. And so I think reading them together slowly, carefully, I'd say in a kind of style like Alexio Divina, like reading it and rereading it, looking for words within them that really resonate with you, praying on those words and thinking about them in light of 
our preparation and sort of readiness for Christ's arrival, I think that would be a good method. So I'd say read them all together. And do you have a favorite Oantophon? And if so, why? <laughs> Let's see. So I really like the Emmanuel Antiphon. So I guess I like mm. it at the end. I probably like it because I like the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel hymn. So that's a part of it. And I guess the hymn probably has influenced more than anything else. In the Antiphon, it says, O Emmanuel, our King and Giver of Law, come mm-hmm. to save us, Lord our God. Mm-hmm. And the prophecy about Emmanuel comes from the book of Isaiah, and it literally means God is with us. I'm much more comfortable on that Hebrew than Latin. Um, so I like the the God is with us. And even though the prophecy in Isaiah's context referred to some awaited child that would have been during that time period, during the time of the prophet, in the Gospel of Matthew, we get this prophet reinterpreted and understood and sort of reframed in light of Jesus. And so this idea of God being with us is interpreted as Jesus, as literally in the incarnation, God literally being with us in human form. And so I love that language and that imagery. And so that's probably why I like that antiphon. And then I also just like the song. It is a beautiful song. Do you think it makes a difference for us to sing scripture? Well, yeah, I think that singing, even though I'm not a great singer, I think singing allows us to connect with scripture in a different way. It allows us to be touched in different ways. And so the power of carefully reading a text and analyzing it, I think is great and important. And I think everybody should do that. But the power of hearing a text and speaking it aloud through song, I think can be much more evocative and and impactful. Monsignor Raymond East, who's a beautiful singer, he's a pastor of St. Teresa Avila Church here in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. I remember him saying to sing is to pray twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. know that's probably not originally from him, but I loved when he said that. And also because he's such a beautiful singer and he would sing the mass when I would go to mass at his church, he would just sing the mass and boy, what a different uh, feeling it was. I mean, I felt like my whole soul just was lifted up in mm-hmm. a way of praying and meditating that's hard to describe you know, any other way. I'll put it like this. There's also a, a musical that the only person that didn't sing in the musical was the devil. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> to get across the point of how point. beautiful <laughs> singing is, uh, you know, and how it can, like you say, it has this, can give an evocative sense to what's being said or sung. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, you know, I'll be thinking about our conversation when we begin the Oantifons on December 17th. And it makes me so crave, like, the kind of knowledge that you have about scripture, because I think it would probably make my prayer life so much deeper. So I just have to go on the little bit that I know and, of course, rely on what I'm hearing and learning from you today to help me deepen my prayer, deepen Mm -hmm. singing the O Antiphons, praying the O Antiphons, and also thinking, I'm thinking very much also about the people at the time, what they were experiencing and thinking about when they made these great pleas, these cries, Mm -hmm. and then how do I, a woman right now in 2022, do this and prepare myself for the second coming. Mm-hmm. And am I crying to please come or is it a joy or a fear, you know, yeah. of the coming, the second coming? So to prepare myself for that. Is there yeah. anything else that you think people perhaps need to think about the old antiphons that's not commonly known or said or discussed when we are praying the old antiphons? Well, actually, your last point really struck me and, and I think it's a good one. And 
I appreciate you saying that you might not know everything about them. And so you, you know, this conversation hopefully will help, but, you know, sometimes I think, especially when people read scripture, they might feel like they just don't know enough or not sure exactly how to interpret it. And that can kind of get in the way of really being enriched by what's in it. And I guess I would say in response to that, and maybe the oh, antiphons are like a great like test run at this because they're short and kind of approachable. But I think your point that thinking about how the texts reflect a certain attitude or worldview, and then thinking about how that might impact you today and your attitude and worldview and your spiritual growth and development, I think that's a great way to interpret them. And it might be that some things in the O Antiphons don't speak to you in a way that they did for ancient Israel. You're not an ancient Israelite. It's okay. So it's okay <laughs> if you don't like all the images and maybe they don't connect in the same way. And it might actually be beneficial to think about, well, what images would you prefer? What would you mm. use to describe God and God's presence and longing to be near God. Well, what would you use? How would you convey that? So mm. an exercise might actually be rewrite these O antiphons in your language, in mm. your imagery and using the, the kinds of images that connect most with you. And then think about that alongside the O antiphons and see, well, ancient Israel, they liked things like the law of Moses. They are calling God a lawgiver. And maybe I like that lawgiver language, or maybe not. Maybe I need God who gives me a hug. Maybe I need God <laughs> who gives comfort. Maybe I do really like that wisdom. I, I'm going to stick with wisdom of God most high. I think that's a great image. And maybe I do want to call out to God to help me to increase my knowledge. So some of the images might work well. And others, you might say, I can take inspiration that people in ancient Israel, this is how they chose to reflect on God. And now how do I choose to reflect on God today? And all with the longing of this relationship mm -hmm. with him. Yeah. And I think that definitely enriches prayer when you pray to God in ways from your heart mm -hmm. <laughs> to express your longing for him. And I think that's um, mm, beautiful and gives us a lot to work with for Advent and how we pray. And that encourages us to pray, to mm -hmm. long for him, to spend that time opening our heart and sharing our longing for him, to him. So mm, thank you so much, Dr. Waters, for joining me on the podcast and breaking open for us the O antiphons and inviting us also and giving us permission, really, to pray in a way that speaks to our longing and our imaging of God and to speak to God in ways that are truly intimate for us and what speaks to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media, it's produced by Maggie Van Dorn and it's engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.